Well, folks, Jerry Adams and Shaw Arish, Shakta na Moinella, Lesson Podcast, August Couple of Shakta, Shakta na Fagta, Riv Nullig. So to Sulagumsaga will Shivsha, Gumai. At the beginning of December, just at the early hours of December the 6th in 1921, the Irish delegates taking part in the negotiations with the British signed the Anglo-Irish Treaty. Their decision reinforced the terms of the Partitionist Government of Ireland Act passed in the British Parliament one year earlier. In the years since then, the decision to sign the treaty has been discussed, debated, argued over, fought over, and been the subject of countless books and articles. For some, it was a necessary decision in the face of the threat of immediate and terrible war by the British Prime Minister, Lloyd George. For others, it was a betrayal of the Republic, of the Proclamation, and those who fought and died in 1916 and in the years which followed. The reality is that the Irish plenipotentiaries, led by Arthur Griffith and including Erskine Children's Michael Collins, George Gavin Duffy, Robert Barton, Eamon Duggan and John Charles, were outmanoeuvred at every turn by a more experienced and ruthless British government. Lord George ratcheted up the pressure throughout the negotiations. He and the way that he set short deadlines for responses, the way he played on the political and personality difference that existed within the Irish delegation, until around 7pm on December the 5th, he produced two letters he claimed were for the Unionist leader, James Craig. One was to tell Craig that agreement had been reached. The other would tell him that there was no agreement. That was to be war, and war within three days. Lloyd George challenged the divided Irish delegation to decide which letter should go that night. He claimed a special train and a destroyer were on standby, ready to carry one or the other to Belfast. The subsequent reports of the conversation between the delegates tell of despair and anger, of frustration and of great stress as they argued among themselves about the best course of action to take. They seemed to have forgotten that the decision was not theirs alone. As plenipotentiaries, they had the power to negotiate and conclude a treaty, but their instructions was to sign nothing unless they contacted the cabinet in Dublin. They failed to do this. There are a variety of reasons given the threat of war by Lord George, the arguments among themselves, the belief that the Boundary Commission would make the Northern State unviable. But whatever the reason, the fact remains they did not have the authority to sign the treaty. That fateful decision and the subsequent vote in the Dáil in January 1922 led to a disastrous civil war and to the consolidation of the partition arrangements desired by the British and the Unionists. For the previous decade, the question of home rule and of partition had dominated Irish and British politics. 
Throughout that period, the British and Unionists had very clear objectives. And that was for the island of Ireland to remain within the empire and under the dominance of the British government. For the six northern counties to be a separate Unionist-controlled state and for the monarch to be the head of any Irish state. Speaking in a debate in the British House of Commons on December the 15th, 1921, Winston Churchill, Secretary of State for the Colonies, said in his defence of the treaty that had been signed just nine days earlier, Sinn Féin, Ireland demanded an independent sovereign republic for the whole of Ireland, including Ulster. We insisted upon allegiance to the Crown, membership of the Empire, facilities and securities for the Navy, and a complete option for Ulster. Every one of these conditions is embodied in the treaty. From the December 6th vote and the vote by the Dáil on January the 7th, 1922, which was passed by 64 votes to 57, flowed five decades of an apartheid state in the north and the oppression of the nationalist people and decades more of conflict. The treaty was a disaster. It's time to undo that grave mistake. We can't undo the past, but we can plan for the future. It's time for the reunification of our people and our island, and there is a process to achieve this. And that, of course, is through the referendum set out in the Good Friday Agreement. Any discussion about the treaty must include this fact and the need for the Irish government to plan for it. We can't plan for the past, but we can and we must plan for the future. The establishment of a national Citizens' Assembly by the Irish Government would be a good first step. My friends, Ono Brin and Mal McCann have published uh, a new book. It's done by Marion Press and it's called The Dignity of Everyday Life. And it's about Bosaurus in Dublin. And back in the day, I would often travel by bus from Dundalk to Dublin. Sometimes I was unlucky and my bus was the one which stopped at every telegraph pole en route. A tedious journey, I can tell you. Other times I was lucky with the express yoke and before I knew it, we would be pulling into Bus Aris in the capital. Either way, Bus Aris was the destination point in Badia Clea. I was always taken by aspects of the building, but in my rush to get to wherever I was going, I never delayed to explore it. The journey back and the wait for the bus allowed for a more relaxed but still superficial scrutiny. Ono Bryn had the same experience. For 11 years he travelled past or through the bus station while living in Belfast. He was a Sinn Féin councillor here. Now he's a TD in Sinn Féin's housing spokesperson. Like me, Owen was too busy to pay too much heed to Bus Aris, but unlike me, he set out to rectify that. He booked into the open house tour organised by architect- the Architecture Foundation. I'm glad he did, 
one is like that, curious and seldom idle, and a fine cook. That tour changed everything for him about Bolsaris. Among other things, he discovered that as part of a larger building named after the 1916 leader Sean McDermott, it's also the head office of the Department of Social Protection. The new book, The Dignity of Everyday Life, grew from that engagement. It is very well written and has been rightly and critically acclaimed for the descriptiveness of Owen's prose and for his historic detail. He tells the story of an egalitarian effort led by the pioneering architect Michael Scott to create a building uniquely Irish, utilitarian but uplifting, a building with amenities to indulge creative and artistic adventures with an uplifting ambience and a public space for Irish citizens and visitors. Not just a depot or a terminus for buses, but a jewel in the heart of Dublin, worthy to be called after Sean McDermott. One tells how this vision was lost in the political machinations of that time. He illustrates this history with drawings and photos from Michael Scott's archive, courtesy of the Irish Architecture Archive. And he draws on the creativity and the photographic skills of Mal McCann to take us through the Bussaris as it is today. I have long admired Mal's photos. He has an eye for the commonplace, the quirky, for the angles and the beauty of everyday things. His use of light is ingenious. Owen and Mal are a great team. They and Mary, the Merriam Press have done us all a great service by publishing this handsome volume. As old Dublin is vandalised by vulture capitalists and developers and their political cronies, and as historic sites like Moor Street, last meeting place of the 1916 leaders, are threatened, and the home of another 1916 leader, the O'Rahilly, is destroyed, the dignity of everyday life is a timely reminder of why this should not be allowed. And finally, I find myself asking questions I used to hear older people ask when I was young. Questions which are rarely answered, no matter how often they are asked. Maybe that's because I often mutter them to myself. You know, questions like, who left the immersion heater on? Would you close that bloody door? Were you born in a field? Who's using all the toilet roll? Why don't you turn off the light? Would you stop running the hot water? So, Shanae, more questions and answers. And finally, finally, for Owen and Mal, the play is out, the wheels of the bus go round and round. Gnurian Talev, Gormagov, Slan Tamalin. Come on everyone, it's time to buckle up and get ready to ride on the bus. Here we go. The wheels on the bus go round and round, round and round, round and round. The wheels on the bus go round and round all day long. Now it started to rain 
Oh no! We need to make the wipers go swish, swish, swish. Are you ready? Here we go. The wipers on the bus go swish, 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 swish. The wipers on the bus go swish, swish, swish all day long. Wow! It suddenly got very noisy on the bus. Lots of people have got on and started to chat. Are you ready? The people on the bus go chat, 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 chat. The people on the bus go chat, chat, chat all day long. Right, everyone, it's time to beat the horn on the bus. Get ready with your uh, uh, uh. Here we go. The horn on the bus goes beep, 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 beep. The horn on the bus goes beep, beep, beep. All day long. Yeah, well done, everyone. Great singing. Come on, let's ride the bus one more time. Ready to sing? Here we go. The wheels on the bus go round and round, round and round, round and round. The wheels on the bus go round and round all day long. Well done. Oh, hang on a minute. Whoa, this is my stop. Uh, can I get off, please?